am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, before I get in here, a little family business, uh, quite literally. So uh, several years ago, I was given a t-shirt by a family in this church. I don't even think they're, they're here this morning. Too bad. But there, I was given a t-shirt. And, uh, and I came home one day, and my oldest daughter, Karis, she saw the t-shirt, and she's like, oh my gosh, Dad, you've got to wear that t-shirt when you preach sometime. And I was like, I don't wear t-shirts when I preach, uh, especially with, with writing on it, stuff like that. So there's no way. She said, oh, come on, Dad, come on. For like six months, we're going back and forth. Finally, and I don't think it was a rash vow, but I made a vow. I said, before you go to college, I will wear that T-shirt. So I'm here to fulfill. You know it's coming. I'm here to fulfill that vow, Karis. She leaves in 10 days. So uh, what choice do I have this matter here? Um, this is it. <laughs> you like it? <laughs> you have to know I'm so embarrassed right now. <laughs> I didn't want to do this, but I, I made a vow, made a commitment, so here I am doing it. Um, can, can you look beyond this? Can you look beyond this? And, uh, we're, <laughs> we're in God's Word. For those of you who are only hearing this on audio, just know it says the Sermonator on the t-shirt. Um, there you go. Well, all right. Where were we? Well, we're doing a new series this morning called uh, Our Values. And what we're doing is we're looking at our core values for the next three weeks. We're taking kind of like a, a mini sabbatical, as it were, from our Mark series here. And, and this is important because what core values do for a church family is they bind us together like super glue. Any organization, by the way, not just a church, but they have core values. And those core values, you're able to say, man, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at that because as everyone's coming back in after a busy summer of travel and so forth, a lot of you are brand new to the church or maybe you've only been coming for the last several months. And so I really especially want you 
to say, man, this is what we're all about. But for all of us, even if you helped plant this church 18 years ago, what a great reminder for us. Be reminded, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And today we're tackling the one that really undergirds all the others, and that is to be Jesus-centered. And there's posters up on the wall as you're coming into the foyer space. Maybe you saw those new posters up on the wall that captures each one of them. And and Jesus said, what does that mean? It means to be in him and to love him and to be centered on him. That's what the subtitle says there. But that begs the question, what does that mean to be Jesus-centered? Great great capstone, uh, great message, but what does it actually mean? And that's what we're going to get into. We're looking at John 15, 1 through 11. And I know we're not been in the Gospel of John, and I'll explain a little bit about where we're at. But I thought this passage in particular does a great job of capturing the essence of what it means for us here at City Church Eastside to, as we just sang, to abide in Him. And, and what I want to say in closing before uh, I get to the message here, really, is this, that this isn't just about who we are on Sunday, but who we're on Monday as well. Who are we? Like, how do we live this way between the Sundays, not just in our own congregation, but, but for, for those who are not a part of our congregation, for our city, that we might love them well? So three things. First, we want to look at the source of life. Jesus says he's the source of our life. Second, we must stay connected to that source of life. If we're not, then we lose life. And finally, because we're connected, when we are connected, the outcome is fruit. He says this over and over six times, a fruitful life. What does that mean? We're going to get into it here. So let's jump in with the first thing, and that is the source. And uh, this is part of what's called the farewell discourse. If you've studied the Gospel of John, you may already know that, that it's the, the largest section of teaching in John's Gospel that he does with the disciples. He actually teaches things that the other Gospels don't report on. And for three or four chapters, he's teaching. And, and Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this about the Jesus and the farewell discourse. He said he's a famous uh, preacher, if you're not familiar with him. But Spurgeon said uh, that, that when someone is dying, it clarifies the mind, and you listen to their words. When someone is dying, it, it clarifies the mind. We know that. We've watched movies, people on death row, that sort of thing. It clarifies the mind. And Spurgeon says we, we should really listen in, really lean in well to what Jesus is saying, because he knows what's about to happen. And so he, he is, he is uh, feverishly, as it were, uh, finishing his teaching ministry with the disciples this side of the cross. And at the heart of the farewell discourse is this passage. And really underline that, the heart of it, as it were, here. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse 1. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I want to show you several things, four things, about why it is that he's the source of life and what that means. Number one, from verse one, it's personal. The source of life isn't impersonal. It's not a self-help manual or something like that. It's a person. The, the image of the vine, by the way, is something that goes back centuries before Jesus. We read that in Psalm 80 as an expression of that. Israel was supposed to be the vine. It was supposed to be the source, not source, but, the, but through the vine, life to the nations, blessing to the nations. But Israel, of course, as we know, didn't live up to that. And so Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. Now, the other thing that's really unique about John's gospel is that he gives a series of what are called the I am statements, the I am sayings. There's seven of them. Things like, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And the last one is this one. I am the true vine. And what he's saying here is that, look, the source of life, it's not something that's out there 
and in a personal, again, the self-help, so it's a person. And I, I really, and I've said this before, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say this, but it bears repeating here. Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. Underline that statement. Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world because every other religion has a prophet or has a founder, has a teacher of some sort that says, look, you go this direction. If you do these things, you're going to get life. You must do these things and then you will get life. But only Christianity says, no, no. The prophet, the teacher, says, I am the source of life. You see the difference there? Religion is impersonal by definition, except for Christianity. Christianity is the only faith that says, look to the founder. It makes it unique. And this is part of what we're leaning in here on. This is what Jesus is doing when he says, I am over and over again. And related to that, it's to say this, that the, the source of life, it's not something that's, that's out there and impersonal, uh, but it comes to us. Uh, I know uh, most of you have probably at some point have seen the Avatar movie series. It only took James Cameron, what, 15 years to do the second installation that came out more recently. But if you've seen that series, you know, it's about these indigenous people called the Navi. And, of course, the bad guys are, you know, the humans who, who come in, environmental degradation and so forth. But what's interesting is there's one deity in the Navi religious system, and they call her the Great Mother. And it's a tree. And if you know the whole premise of the whole film, uh, that, that when they tap in, right? I forget what, they, the, what it is organically that they tap in. But once they tap in, like they're tapping into the source of life. They're tapping into the energy. But what Jesus is saying is that, that it, it's not a tree, because even though they call it the great mother, the reality is the mother's impersonal. It's just a life force in that sort of terminology. Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to hope that you tap in properly and get things right. Jesus says, look, you don't have to look any further than me. Look at my teachings. Look at my life. If you want life, it's right here in front of you. I am the true vine. Could not be more different from religion. Religion, as I always says, puts the cart before the horse. What must I do? In order to get life, Jesus reverses that. He says, look what I give you, therefore, that you might go and experience life. The grace of God is on display here for us. He is the source of life. It's personal. It's outside of us. It's not up to us to figure it out, in other words. But paradoxically, it's organic, meaning it's inside out. Wait a minute, Scott. You just said it's outside of us. Yes, it is. But the power of it comes from the inside out. Let me explain. You know the differences between organic life and mechanical life, right? Uh, organic life, you know, it's something that, that is biologos, as it were. It's, it's, it's something uh, that is natural, we might say, in nature and so forth. And, and what Jesus is doing by using the image here of the vine is he's saying something about the nature of what life is intended to be. He's saying it's intended to be organic, growing from the inside out, so changing our character from the inside out. Let me tell you why that's so important. Jesus, what he's saying here is, he says, I've come to change the heart. We're singing about that earlier. Uh, but I love that. We, 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 he's come primarily to change the heart. Jesus is not primarily coming into the world, he says, to change your behavior. Now, that may be news to you. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of people who think that's what Christianity is about. Like, oh, I must clean up my life first. I must uh, change my you know, practices on a whole host of things that, are, that we're constantly debating and talking about. Now, 
Should those things change? Yes. But it's putting the cart before the horse. Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to change our hearts. And only in the changing of our hearts can our behavior change. Can our character be transformed? Let me tell you why I think that's so important. Because of the culture we live in today. We live in a culture that loves to punish people. Now, I think that's true of all cultures, by the way, of all times. But, you know, we we put different language to it. Let me give you an example of that. Our country was founded on, one of the principles our country was founded on, was free speech. And I think that most of us in here, regardless of political persuasion and stripe, would say, things have changed. It's more difficult now. There's a, there's a sense of intolerance that, that people aren't permitted to say things that are inappropriate. And what happens to them? We have a word for it, a phrase, cancel culture. We're going to cancel their voices out. Now, is it appropriate? Absolutely to challenge people. But, but that's not primarily, I see what we're doing as a nation and as a modern society. We, we, our tendency is to punish. Now, why is that so important? Why is that in the sermon? Because the tendency is not to change the heart. It's to drive it underground. You see the difference there. When you confront someone who's a racist, and you, the goal is to destroy the reputation, to silence the reputation, to cancel them, to silence them, does it actually change the racism? The answer is no. We know this. I'm Captain Obvious probably as I say that to you. We just drive it underground because there's fear. But Jesus says, look, you can't go about it that way. You have to change the human heart. If you want to see all the isms, racism, ageism, sexism, and all the other things that plague our modern lives, you must, absolutely, you must change the human heart. It must be transformed from the inside out. Mechanical change is forced change from the outside in. It's suppressing. But Jesus says, no, you must change the human heart. And here's the other thing about that. And this is why I think some, why we, we, our tendency is to uh, not forgive and to cancel people. It's because it's faster. That's the reality. You know what takes more time? To, is the actual transformation of the human heart. Have you ever stood in a, in a vineyard before? Right? Um, I... I uh, Kirsten and I, well, she's not here. She had to go get the sandwiches. Looked around. She's not upset with my sermon, by the way. She just had to go get the sandwiches for sandwiches in the park. Just so you know. MC's not here, so she's filling in. But I was about to point to her and say, you know, we were actually in Portland, Oregon, visiting with Brian and Amanda Buck a few years ago. Now, for those of you who don't know, you're brand new, perhaps, or you've been coming for the last several years. Brian and Amanda Buck were here on our staff. 10 years ago, and they left to plant out of our church, a new church on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon. And one of the things I love, every time we've gone to visit with Brian, and by the way, they're doing great. So is the church, Oaks Parish. But one of the things that I love when we've gone out there is that well, sometimes we'll go visit vineyards. And uh, I'm here to tell you, okay, now I'm not saying I can find this in Scripture, okay? This is a little bit conjecture on my part. But I'm pretty sure in the new heavens and new earth, the wine at the banquet feast will be Pinot Noirs from the Willamette Valley. I'm pretty sure about that. When we get there, we'll find out, but I'm pretty sure you're going to say, hey, how do you know that, Scott? Well, because it's, it's the terroir of the soil. I, they're just amazing wines. And so we're in this uh, Willamette Valley uh, vineyard, and we're standing there with glasses in hand, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. If you've ever been there, or you've been to Napa, another place like that, it's beautiful. And the whole time, it looks like nothing's going on because it is so slow, the growth. Like those vineyards, it takes years, by the way. It takes years to develop a vine to produce a grape. 
You know, gardeners know this, arborists know this as well. It can take years and years once you plant a fruit tree to actually see the fruit. And doesn't it, if you ever planted, I mean, we have fruit here in Georgia, but especially for those of you from Florida, you know this. Like, isn't it, like, it's hard to have patience to wait. Like, I bought an avocado tree. Where's my avocados? All right? Or the peaches. No one has peaches this year because of the late freeze. But nevertheless, like, uh, it, it takes patience. Why? Because growth is slow. To get the product is slow. And I want to say this to you and to me this morning. Most of your spiritual growth is slow. And that's not your fault. But it's by design. I really think that. As I've gotten older in my faith. Now you say, wait a minute, what, what about Paul on the road to Damascus? Didn't he have that amazing experience, that amazing transformation? Yes. But what happened for the next three years? There's one place in Scripture where Paul mentions that for the next three years, he was incognito. He disappeared. Slow growth. We have that penny drop, right? We have that one time that everyone knows about, the road to Damascus experience. That was just the beginning. You see, the Christian life is often a slow, organic process. And so let's say this morning that you're working on the issue of anger in your life. You're saying, man, look at where I was. And, and like, how do I measure these sorts of things? I want to say that, that often what it is is you can look back after several years and say, well, you know what? It's taken several years to get here. But I'm in a different place. Or working on patience. Or, man, you've been plagued by the, by the issue of fear in your life. Like in, in over a period of, of months or years, you can say, man, Jesus has been good to me, and it, it, I'm changing, but it takes time. So part of it is to be kind to yourself. Be patient with yourself. Guess what? Because Jesus is. This is how he operates in a vineyard. It can be slow growth, organic. But here's the last thing. Make no mistake about it. It is his work through and through. Let me show you from this passage Two verses, very important here. Pray that we have ears to hear this. Verses 2 and 6. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Let me take these in reverse. Jesus says something very important to us that should sober our lives about how it is that he grows his fruit. He produces fruit. In verse 6, what did it say there? He takes all the dead branches and he tosses them away into the fire. What does that mean exactly here? I was at a retreat center this past week and uh, they're putting a, a nature trail in in the woods and, and the tornado earlier in the late spring, I think, had hit the property. And what had happened is not all the trees fell over, but they were damaged, especially the tops of the trees as sometimes these things are wont to do. And, and right where this nature trail is is where the tornado came through. And so the director of the retreat center, he was taking me on a tour. He was showing me the property. And, uh, and there were these, uh, these machines, these people with long machines, almost like cranes that were, that were cutting at the tops of these, uh, these trees. And, and he said, you know what they're doing, Scott? I said, what are they doing? He says, um, they're removing what are called the widow makers. Oh, <laughs> widow makers? What does that mean? These are the limbs that don't fall that if they were to fall, they would kill you. And there's a nature trail at a retreat center. Uh, we need to ensure that we don't impact life. We have to take away the deadness, the, the dead branches up there. Oh, what is Jesus saying here? 
Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you can, you can come in here on a Sunday morning. You can sing all the songs. You can, as we're going to do in a second with the Apostles' Creed, you can make that confession. You can say, that's what I believe. You can, uh, you can be here every Sunday. You can tithe faithfully. You can do all the, quote-unquote, uh, marks, as it were, of what Christians do on a Sunday. But what Jesus says here is, if there is no fruit, you are a dead branch. And you will be cut off. It's hard for me to say that. But I need to say that to you guys this morning. What he's saying is that, that if there is no fruit, you will be cut off. Now we know this elsewhere. John says, this John, and John, later in John's Gospel, chapter 13, or earlier actually, verse 35, he says, uh, you'll be known by your fruit. How will they know that you're Christians? By your love, he says in another letter, 1 John. And so that begs the question, then, what is the fruit, Scott? Well, you, just, you brought that point. What is the fruit? I'm going to come back to that here in a second. But I want you to see the other verse here, because I think this applies to many of us in here who, who would say, no, I, I have confidence that I belong to him. Um, I would say there's fruit in my life. But what does it say? He says, I'm going to prune those branches. I want to show you a picture. This is a, a picture of, uh, of trees that are recently pruned. And I remember growing up, we had something like this at our house. I remember I came home one day from school, and, like, the trees just looked naked, right? I mean, you look at it and go, that is not a pretty tree. I like the green from the other tree next to it, but what do you do with that, right? And that's a pretty severe pruning. And, and if, you're an ar- if you've ever known an arborist, they'll know about this. And if you're a gardener, some of you are. I'm not. Uh, but you know the power of pruning. Why do we prune back trees? Why do we, why do we prune rose bushes? Uh, why do we prune in our gardens? And the answer is this, that when you actually take away some of the growth or the limbs, you actually produce greater growth, you see. That's what pruning is about for trees and for, and for bushes. It is to produce greater fruit. Look, Jesus is saying this to say this to you. He's saying, I want to produce greater fruit in your life. I, I want to take you further up and further in with me, as C.S. Lewis like to say. I, I want to take you on a journey that you might experience your potential and you might fulfill it. All of us in here have gifts. All of us in here were made with those gifts to produce fruit. And so the question for you today, if you're a follower of Christ, is what is the fruit that's being produced in my life? And is there potential for more? Jesus says, I need to prune your life. In a second, in a few minutes, I'm going to show you the fruit in in another place in Scripture. and, And we're going to talk about that. What does it look like to produce that fruit? But the first thing I want you to see about pruning there is that the, the goal of it is actually to produce more fruit in your life, to bring greater joy, in other words, to your life. But there's a second thing I need to say about pruning, and it always involves a sharp instrument. It always involves a knife or something, and the reality is that can be painful. So I've had a shoulder issue last year, and I've been going to PT for that. Uh, for those of you who do physical therapy, thank you for the work that you do and the skills that you have. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, sometimes it is painful. Right? I'm, I'm going there because I've got a pain in my shoulder, and yet sometimes I go in there and I experience pain with the PT person. In particular, it's when they needle me. So I, I don't know if you've ever had needling before like that, but needling, and you're saying, yeah, I'm married. No, that's not right. That's, that's not what I meant by needling. Um, some of you got that, some of you did not. But the four-inch needle, they, they stick that into the muscle, and they're looking for the trigger point. And I've, 
I've done this multiple times, and sometimes it is really painful. Like I'm, I'm saying, wait a minute, I want to, I want to experience freedom from pain, and I'm experiencing pain right now. Or if that doesn't uh, connect with you, imagine that you go into a doctor and you know you've got an issue, right? And you, and you're like, I, I don't know, but I've read online that I might need surgery for this. And the doctor says, well, let's run some tests. And they come back the diagnostics, and they say, yep, yep, uh, you need to have surgery. Like, great. And then he says, look, I've done this surgery thousands of times. And it's successful every time. You're going to be fine afterwards. You're going to feel like you're transformed after I deal with your issue. You're like, great. When can we do it? And so you sign up. And he says, now, now here's what's going to happen. We're, I'm, a, I'm going to cut you through the muscle uh, into the tissues there. Right? I'm going to sew you back up. But for several days after the surgery, you're going to be a lot of pain. Now, I've got great meds for you. It's going to help. Thanks be to God. But you know what? You're giving me some pain. I'm just letting you know you need to take off some time for work. Don't operate the car. Don't drink alcohol. That sort of thing like that. We've heard that before. And what if your response to that was, <laughs> forget about it. No, no. Not going to do that. Well, what do you mean you're not going to do that? No, I, no, I don't want more pain. I came for you to take the pain away, not to give me more pain. He says, look. You can't experience the transformation. You can't experience the character transformation in that muscle, that injured place in your body, unless you're willing to experience a little pain afterwards that's temporary. Look, that's what pruning in our lives spiritually is about. It means that when we experience affliction, in Hebrews it says this, that, that God disciplines those that he loves. And what that means is not discipline this necessarily in the sense of like, uh, we think about punishment here, but it means to train. That's what the word means in the Greek. It's like a, the vineyard. Every vineyard has a trellis. The, vineyard, the vine knows where to go because if it didn't have that, it'd be like what we discovered in our house yesterday. We had vines outside of our wall that found in our old home. It's, you know, like 80, 90 years old. It found a crack. And literally, we're sitting on the bed talking. And I look, and Kirsten looks and says, there is a vine growing through our window into our house. And sure enough, and I went outside. There are vines all on the outside. I was pulling them down. I mean, that's what happens with the vine. It'll go wherever it wants. But the vineyard, they train the vine. They train it to go in a certain direction. And that takes discipline. It takes pruning. Look, if you're experiencing that in your life right now spiritually, you're saying, Scott, man, I'm going through a hardship right now in my singleness, in my marriage, in my, my, my work situation. Um, the, the demons that I've been having around depression... Uh, I don't know what it might be for you, but my guess is in a a group our size, there's some of you right now who say, man, what you're preaching right now is what's happening to me. I'm being pruned. I want you to know, lean in. Lean into Jesus on that. Trust that the pruning and the pain that you're experiencing is there to produce something. Look, I know all of us at least have said this before. We have said, man, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. But man, I would never go back from what I've experienced. It's changed my life. I can think of one thing in particular right now in my life where I was like, I, I wouldn't wish that pain, but man, I, I'm so glad on the other side, it changed me, it transformed my life. And it may be that you can say the same thing. That's the pruning. It's personal. It's outside of us. It's His grace. It's organic. It's His work. Now, moving on to the second thing here, you're saying, man, how long are we going to be here? We've got sandwiches in the park coming. We're moving a lot faster. These last two things here, just so you know. How do we stay connected? If he's the source, how do we stay connected? Verse 4. 
Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The word abide here means to remain. It means to be connected, as it were. And what does that mean? If Again, for those of you who are gardeners, you have a gardener, you know someone who does, <laughs> you know this, that, that the growth that happens in the garden is daily, it's continuous. Remember, it's that same image of standing in the vineyard saying, what's going on here? It doesn't look like anything's growing. Oh, but it is. It's happening because it's connected to the source of life, the water, the nutrients in the soil. Same thing. What's happening here? He says, if, if you're to experience true life, it has to be daily. It has to be continuous. The gospel, as Tim Keller, that great saint he recently passed, said, it isn't just something that saves you. It's how you live your life every day. It's daily. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, abiding in Him, knowing Him, is to change you every day. And how do we know this? Maybe it's by seeing what happens when we're disconnected. I've said this before. Uh, I, and I wonder if you've experienced this too. I call it vacation hell. Now, what I mean by that is like, I, I've, you know, I need a break from the stress and anxiety. You do too. And, and so what do you do? You have a vacation. I was just talking with some people during Liturgy of the Community about some amazing vacations that they took during the summer. And I hope for them it was rejuvenating as it is for you when you took vacation this summer. But I wonder if it's like this for you. Sometimes I get out of good rhythms when I go on vacation. And I find myself, you know, rather than just spending time in, in the scriptures and time in prayer and meditation and reflection, I'll just get to a vacation. I'll be distracted, whatever, like that. I'll be doing my own thing. And then what happens is after about three or four days, I become so irritable. Now, if Kirsten were here, she would be nodding her head. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. But I become irritable. I become disconnected from the family at times. And, and I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you that, that there's a direct correlation between my experience of being irritable, right? And, and what I mean in particular about that is becoming self-centered. By just looking at me, taking care of me on vacation, it's all about me, that sort of thing like that. And I find, man, what's going on there, Scott? What's going on inside of me? And it's, uh, it's I'm disconnected. And, and, I, and let me, this is so important. How do you know that you're, 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 you're the branch that's being pruned versus the dead branch? Here's part of how you know. Because you're on vacation or something else is going on in your life. And you're disconnected from, from the source of life. And here's what you say. I can't wait to get back to him. Like, I, I, I can't imagine, like, no more, like, maybe on vacation you're saying, I'm changing my, my I'm being transformed on vacation. Or, or you get back to the city and you're like, man, I can't wait. But how do you, but what does it look like to be dead? I think that, 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 that culturally speaking, we experience this through the pandemic. What do you mean, Scott? There's a certain percentage of people that never return to any body of faith, much less city church, he said. Oh, we know the, the Barner research, other research has shown that 25 to 30% of people just disappeared. And in survey after survey and interview after interview, they're saying, now nah, I'm out. Uh, I'm out of Christianity, essentially. How do you, how do you explain that? It's, as a pastor, man, it breaks my heart. But I want to say this to you. Part of what it means to belong to him means to belong to the local church. Let me say that again. It's so important. Part of what it means to belong to him is to belong to the local church. Why? Because he calls it himself. He calls it the bride of Christ. He said it's to take vows. It's to be committed. It's to jump in, to love the bride, to make her more beautiful, to honor her, to shine a spotlight on her. And when that does, it changes your life. 
because we're all together part of the body of Christ. When we separate ourselves from the very source that on earth that God has given us, the primary way that we become disciples, to make fruit that is, when we cut ourselves off from that, uh, we risk becoming dead. I mean, can you imagine if you're married, you know, once a week, maybe at best, you know, you're with your spouse. What would happen to your relationship if you were just with them once a week? Or a boyfriend, girlfriend? If we're just Sunday Christians, that's what that's like. Like, we're going to become disconnected. And if we're not even with them even once a week, even more disconnected. How important is it that in this day and age that we hear that? But listen, I want it very important here. What are the grounds for being connected? It's in verses 9 and 10. This is so important in light of what I just said. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. He says, look, let me tell you how you abide in me. Watch my life. Look at my life. See how I'm abiding with the Father. It's not drudgery. It's not saying, Ugh, I know before there was time I took vows that I would die for these people. All right, let's get it over with. Of course, that's not who Jesus is. For the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, too, he endured the cross. What was his joy? What, what, what gave him the desire and the power to do what he did? Love. And it wasn't just love for us. Oh, that was the outcome. But first, it was his love for the Father. The perfect indwelling love of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship. And as a result of that, obedience came out of that. Obedience didn't come from mechanical drudgery. Oh, I've got to do this obligation. No, that's religion. No, it comes from love. You know, when you're in a love relationship, whether you're married or it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, or even just a friendship, I mean, when you really are in a good place, you know, take for marriage, for example, when you look at your vows, you know, I don't wake up every morning saying, oh, I took those vows 23 years ago. Uh, I said for better or for worse, all right, I might have to do that today in light of what Kirsten just said or did. Now, that's, I mean, you'd say, well, that's not much of a marriage. But, you know, you know that things are good when you're saying, how can I serve her today? How can I serve him today? Or in a friendship, say, man, I, best friend, soulmate in a sense, how can how can I serve them today? Say, you say, well, I didn't even think of that as obedience. But you know, Jesus Christ calls that obedience when we serve out of delight. Why? Because that's the nature of who he is and his character. It's not about, when you think of obedience, I think for so many of us, we have it wrong. And he says, man, if you know who I am and you delight in what I've done for you, you just naturally want to give that away to other people. It's not drudgery by no means, but it's how we remain he says, last thing I want to say here about connection is this. And I think you probably already heard a little taste of this. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. How do we know that? Because when you go to the vineyard, have you ever seen a grape just by itself? Never. What do you see? You see a bunch of grapes together on that vine. And one vine after another connected to a deeper root source. They're all connected. The grapes together. The vines themselves are connected. That's what makes them connection. That's what gives the life because they're all connected to the same source, but they do it together. Every Christian should be part of a wine-making production operation. And the only way that can happen is to produce the fruit. The only way they have is to do it together. Part of how fruit is produced is by doing it together. I'll, I'll tell you this without a doubt. You tell me, you point to someone who's a Lone Ranger Christian, I will guarantee you, on average, 
No way there's the same production of spiritual fruit as people who do life together in a congregation and who understand the gospel and they live for it. Jesus-centered, as we've been saying. It necessarily, Jesus says in this passage, it will lead to fruit. When you make disciples, when you're in each other's company, learning from each other, it naturally grows you as well. It's the production of the Lord's vineyard, really, which leads to the last thing, and that is the outcome. It is the fruit, as I mentioned here, six times, but I'll only give you one uh, example of that from verse 8. It says this, By this my Father is glorified, that means honored, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How do we know? Remember when I was asking that question, or, or maybe you were, we're talking about pruning versus dead branches. How do I know, Scott, that I'm producing fruit? There's evidence of it. And what is that evidence? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul says this, one of many places, but I want you to hear this one. But the fruit of the Spirit. So what is the fruit? Here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these there is no law. This is the character of God. And by the way, one of the things I want you to say, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. You can't separate any more than one side of a coin from another. You can't separate love from joy and peace from patience and so forth. You say, but wait a minute, Scott, as I look at my life, like I see that, man, I'm full of peace in my life, but man, when it comes to self-control, man, I'm struggling here. Well, guess what? Now you know where Jesus is probably going to prune you, right? You say, well, but uh, self-control, I've got that, but man... I'll be honest with you. I, I struggle with joy in my life. Well, maybe that, that's where Jesus wants to prune you. See, it's, not, it's not that you can't have strengths and weaknesses or at least struggles is another way to put that in some areas. Absolutely. But that's the places where he, where he wants to prune you because the evidence of being a Christian isn't one of these things and then saying, I don't need to worry about the other eight. It's all of these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, self-control. Against these, there is no law. And so I want to ask you here as we close. I want to ask you, do you hunger for that in your life? Because if the answer is a, there's a yearning in your heart, I've got good news for you. You belong to him. And, and you're yearning. And the only way that you could yearn is that the Spirit gave you that yearning, that thirst and that hunger to say, I want to go further up and further in with Jesus. I, I want to see my life changed and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ being centered on him. So, again, do you yearn for that in your life? And, of course, the question that goes with that, as we've been saying, is there evidence? Is there evidence in your life that you can, you can point to? And what he says here in the close, in verses 7 and 11, he says, I want to show you what that outcome can look like. He says in verse 7, If you abide in me, my words will abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You know, I've preached full whole sermons on prayer. I don't have time to, to delve into that right now. But what he says there is that, that the more you are aligned with his heart, the more you will yearn for the things that he loves. You will yearn for the things that, that drives his passion for the kingdom. And I bet you you've seen that in your prayer life. Where it went maybe for initially it was like, God, um, help me pass my test sort of prayers, which are appropriate in places to, the, to really kingdom-centered prayer where you're saying, for the nations, change my life. You're saying, through my life, through, through my life as a husband, to my wife and to my children, like, may the nations be blessed. As a neighbor, you know, to the stranger on the corner, to the homeless, and, like, may, through my life, may the nations be blessed. 
And I'm here to tell you that when you, when you like, go further up and further in with him, it'll change you and you'll begin to see that you're praying things that he prays for. One of the great ways you can do that, by the way, is to pray through Scripture. I've said that before, but, but yeah, look at how does Jesus pray? And how did, how did the, the various people, the Scriptures and the stories pray? And, and what are you learning like, as, as you're seeing the stories play out? You pray out the story for our own time, for your own life. One example there. But then verse 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. At the end of the day, a fruitful life is a joyful life, Jesus says. And not just some joy, but full joy. I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly, John 10 says. I know that there's more life for me. I'm 51 years old. I've been in ministry for 25 years. I've been pastoring this church since we started about 17, 18 years ago. And I want you to know, I know that there's more life for me. This morning I was praying for that. God, I, I, want, I, want, I want to produce more fruit. And so the only thing required of you just that yearning. Say, I want more. Thank you that I'm, I'm connected, but I want more. Mike was earlier uh, sharing about DNA groups, and we're about to launch our, our new groups September. Let me just be practical for a second. If you're not already involved with a group like that, of Christians who are saying, man, I, I'm yearning, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, but I need help. Join a group this fall. If you're not already involved, one. If you're a woman, talk to Kirsten about that. Talk to Mike about what does it mean to be involved and say, I want to go, I want to produce more fruit. That's one way to do it. You know, I mentioned last week, September 28th to 30th, we have Abide Retreat. And I want to encourage you to be part of that. We're going to be practicing learning. We're going to be talking about a number of things, but how do we do that in the space of a retreat center? Some things happen that are beautiful in a place where you were outside of our confines of our normal space, outside the city. Jesus, speak to me. What do you want to do with my life this year as we start a new ministry year? Join us at the end of September for that. And there'll be other opportunities along the way, but practically just move beyond Sunday. Join, join us as a volunteer. As Alyssa stood up here, I was thinking about, about the yearning for our children to know Jesus. And, and, and who will teach them or who will... Uh, do the logistics so that they're now permitted to go and teach if you're not a teacher. Or volunteering here on a Sunday morning is part of it, certainly. But then, of course, beyond Sunday, serving out, being fruit to the nations. So my, my prayer for this, this year as we start is that we will be like super glue bound together by the good news of Jesus Christ. That we'll be centered on him. And as we'll see the next couple weeks, other things. But, but may we be those fruitful people. Let's pray. Father, this is your, your work. And, and I know that there are places that you are pruning in our lives right now. May we have our hands open to receive the knife, as it were. To receive the pruning process so that we might become more fruitful. And so in the months and the years to come for us, as we grow in our faith, may it be uh, that we can look back and say the vineyard has been more fruitful. My vineyard has been more fruitful because of you, Jesus, because of how you've transformed my, my heart through pruning. So, Lord, may we produce the fruit, fruit of the Spirit.
um, for each other and for the nations, for our neighbors, for our city, for our community, for our friends, for strangers on the street. Lord, help us get there. Help us to get out of out of the way of what you're doing. Help us to get our, our, our eyes off ourselves and, and project self and the need to look out for number one. Help us do that because we naturally default there. But Lord Jesus, your power, the power of the vine, the power of the root system, the power that brought you back from the dead, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now we respond to God's word through confession. And once a month, the first Sunday of the month, we confess what we believe, what, what, is, what it is that unites us as a body. And so let's pray this, this confession aloud as we, as we do the Apostles' Creed. Pray the Apostles' Creed together. Let's say it aloud. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. And now we go to the table. And if, if you're new with us, City Church is a place where we do the table weekly. We do, as often as we come together, we move to the table. And because the table is about connection. And I love that Jesus, when he says, remember me, he left us food. He left us bread. And, it, and if you don't know, the, the one loaf that we all take from, it's about unity. We all eat and drink from one loaf and one cup. Is, is, it's the same wine, right? And that's, that's meant to say we are one, right? But think of the other ways that maybe food would, would be about connection. One, he says, he's showing through the way we take food that Jesus can't stay on the surface. He must go in, right? If, if Jesus is going to affect our behavior and how we live, he must go in. He can't stay on the surface. So in remembrance, we take him in. And number two, just as we need food. If without food we starve, without him we are nothing. And then number three, he satisfies us. He fills us up. He becomes the very delight. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, one, you abide in him. You believe you're a part of his vine. He says, come take and eat. But if this morning you're here and it's not yet something you believe in, something you are investigating, we'd love to talk more about that and even walk with you in that. We're even available after if that's something you would like. With those helping with communion, please come forward. But as they do... Uh, just a reminder, you come to the middle, you'll come forward, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine or grape juice, and receive it before you go to your seats. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he raised it in front of his disciples and he said, this is my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink of it as often as you come together. And we join with the saints who throughout the ages proclaim this great mystery which goes like this. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Brothers and sisters, when you're ready, come and take your meal with Jesus. Come reconnect in remembering him.